Well, good morning. Um, it is great to be here. Um, super humbled and encouraged that I was invited to speak here at Berea Baptist. My name is Jeremiah. Uh, my wife and I, we moved to Miami, Florida about six months ago in order to plant a gospel-centered church there. Uh, the neighborhood is called Little Haiti, otherwise known as The Hood. It's a pretty rough place to live, but uh, that's just been Lauren and I's story. We just see that there's such an injustice already going on in places like that. We don't want to add to that by not having a place um, that people can go to to hear the gospel preached um, loud and true. Um, so that's what we're all about. It's, it, it's been hard, and, and, but it's been good. You know what I'm saying? And um, a month ago, the Lord provided a house for us. Uh, it was a very difficult process. It was a short sale, but we got it. Praise the Lord. We're in the house now. We're fixing it up, and we're about to have a big barbecue, inviting all our neighbors. And there's already four people who, like, and we went down, didn't know anybody, right? We're just all by ourselves. And these four people, um, three Haitians and an African-American, uh, somehow the Lord just brought them across our path. And uh, I cast my vision, and, and, and they, they said they've been praying for years for a gospel-centered church in the inner city of Miami. And so it's just really neat, like God's showing up. And just want to say thank you, Berea Baptist. You guys are great. Um, because you're part of Sojourn Network, uh, th- you guys are the reason why my wife and I were able to move down to Miami and plant this church. Like, we couldn't do it without churches locking arms together and making it happen. And so you guys are part of this beautiful thing that God is doing um, in North America. Um, so thank you, seriously. And also, th- I think Bert just left, but he's my coach, and so he, he walks me through some things sometimes. But I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? I'm figuring out as I go, and so, so thankful for him. Um, as well. Well, I've come to preach God's word, and honestly, my goal is I just want to, I just want to encourage you, and I think one of the most encouraging things that we can do as Christians is take a good long look at who our God is, Um, because it's so important that we understand him rightly, because when we understand God rightly, I mean, it has profound blessings on our life, because misunderstandings can typically get us in trouble, right? Um, For example, about two and a half years ago, my wife and I went up to Belfast, Northern Ireland, and we were there because we thought that God was calling us to plant a church there first. Totally different from Miami, but that's a long story. So we're there, and I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe it's kind of a product of the 90s or 80s, whatever. Like, when I, oftentimes when I say goodbye to people, I do this. I say peace. It's lame, I know, but that's why I say peace, and that's what I do. And little did I know that in Belfast, that sign is likened to a sign that we have in America that's super offensive with one finger, you know? Had no clue, big misunderstanding. So I'm meeting all these people to cast in vision and then doing that, you know, and had no idea that that, this, that was a misunderstanding. And luckily a bro came up pretty quickly and was like, hey, do you need to stop doing that? <laughs> and so no, you know, no, 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 you know, no, uh, nobody was offended and all that stuff. That was good. But that was a silly misunderstanding that's kind of funny. Um, but when we misunderstand God, it's not funny because it can have dire consequences on our walk and our Christian development. But on the flip side, when we get a look at, when we see God for who he is and understand him rightly, it has profound blessing in our lives and we flourish in our Christian life. And so today, we're going to take a good long look at what it means when the Bible declares that our God is good. And to do this, we're going to use Psalm 34 to help us um, uh, see this truth. And so Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? It's Psalm 34. Um, I, 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 had, I brought my NIV. I know you guys have the ESV, but I read, read it, and it's super close. It's very similar, so you guys can follow along with no problem. Again, Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. 
My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this word in which we are instructed in the way so we can get to know who you are. And I pray that, Lord, whatever it is that you want to say today, that it would be said clearly. And we pray that however it is that you want us to respond, Lord, we would respond appropriately. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, so in this text, Psalm 34, we see really three movements going on, and, and it, there, it's this. One, there is a divine invitation. Secondly, the second movement is that there's reasons as to why we should accept this invitation. And then finally, the last movement is how we accept this invitation. And so to begin with, let's look at this amazing invitation being laid out for us in Scripture. And it's in verse 8. When David writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now he uses these words, taste and see, these sensory words to get at this idea that we can actually come and experience God's goodness here and now in the concrete daily grind of life. Not in the abstract, in the, in the sweet by and by, but today in our life we can experience God's goodness. And maybe perhaps we think that David is tripping right here. We're like, no, nah, we can't really experience God's goodness in the here and now. That's going to come later. Well, in case maybe we think David is out to lunch here, he writes again in Psalm 27, 13, I am confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So make no mistake, David wrote this and God inspired him to write that we can actually taste and experience and have God's goodness in our lives today, in, 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 the, in the daily grind of our lives, if we want it, if we want to step into it. But David doesn't just invite us in to experience God's goodness. He also gives us a bunch of reasons why. And so kind of like rapid fire, I'm going to go through these reasons that David lays out as to why we should accept this invitation. And number one, it's because God hears, our ans hears and answers our prayers. So check this out. Again, rapid fire. Verse four, I, saw, I sought the Lord and he answered me. This, verse six, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry, cry out and the Lord hears them. How's that for goodness? 
I mean, how cool is that, that we can come before the creator of the universe and just talk to him? And not only talk to him, but know that he's actually going to listen to us and answer our prayers. You know, how many of us have this, this idea of God uh, that, that he, like, he's always disappointed with us? And that he, he doesn't want to listen to what we have to say because we're always failing him. And, and when that's our sense of God, when we, have a, when we have an idea of God as eternally displeased with us, we're not going to want to come before him. But that's not God's heart for you. God's will towards you is good. He enjoys it when you come into his presence. He loves hanging out with his kids, even when we've been bad kids, even when we've messed up, even when we've sinned. He, he loves to spend time with us. I mean, who is your favorite person to talk to? And why do you enjoy talking to that person? Is it not because they, they listen to you? And why do they listen to you? It's because they care about you. See, the Lord cares about you more than you will ever know. And, and because he cares about you, he invites us all in to come and, 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 and bring our requests and bring our fears and brings our hopes and bring our dreams and bring whatever, the, the messed up parts of our life and bring it all to him. And we can rest assured that he's going to hear us, he's going to answer us because he's good. And though God will always answer our prayers, right, he won't always say yes, right? Sometimes we have difficulty with that. Sometimes God will say no. Just like if you have kids and you take them to the grocery store, what are they always going to ask for? Candy, right? They're always going to ask for candy. Well, I did. And, and so are you going to give them a candy bar? Yeah. Sometimes you're going to give them a candy bar. Are you going to always give your kid a candy bar when you ask for it? No, because you're good. You know what's best for your kid. In the same way, God knows what's best for us. And, and he knows what's going to do us the most good. And sometimes we don't always understand the reason behind it, but we can trust him in those moments. Why? Because he's good. And his heart for us is good and loving. And we know that he hears us and he's going to answer us. And it's not only going to do that, but David goes on to say that he delivers and he saves us. Again, verse 4, he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, he saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 17, he delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles, but God delivers him from them all. We've got to keep in mind that David is writing this psalm, and this bro experienced a lot of trouble in this life, right? Like he had a fight in ogre, right, Goliath. And he, he served under this king. He was a faithful servant, but he tried to like kill him like several times. His, his son Absalom ra- ra- rose up and started a coup and, and he ended up um, dying because of it. He committed adultery uh, and, and covered it up with a murder and the Lord took his, uh, one of his kids away. I mean, this guy experienced trouble probably more than a lot of us in this room have experienced trouble, right? And yet he highlights a word here in this passage that we see, in every single one of those statements I just read, he highlights a word, and it's the word all. The Lord delivers him from them all, from all their troubles. So what David is doing here is he's recalling the Lord's faithfulness throughout all of his life. And so let me be clear what this passage is telling us. That we will have many troubles in this life. And we need to stop and consider this because perhaps this has caused some of you to lose some sleep at night. Like you're wrestling with how is it that we can call God good and yet all this pain is in my life. My life is so wrecked and these people use me and abuse me and these things are happening. I don't understand and look, I don't have all the answers there to assuage all those, all those questions, whatever. But what I do know is it's not like the Bible pretends that troubles aren't real, that they don't happen. I mean, the very text that says 
that we can experience God's goodness in the here and now, in the concrete, not the abstract, is the very psalm that says we're going to experience trouble in this life. But God will deliver us from them all. It means right now, whatever you're facing, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God will deliver you. And that's a promise because he's good. He keeps his promises. And even for those of you in this room who are not following Jesus Christ right now, you're here and you're just coming, you're checking it out. Maybe you think Christianity is really silly and dumb. I used to think that. And you're just, you're just checking it out. That promise is for you too if you're turned to, the, if you're turned to Jesus Christ in faith just like I did 13 years ago. I grew up, so I'm 32 now, so I was about 1920 is when I became a Christian, but before that, my life was totally jacked up. I, I was crazy. And I, I mean, I grew up in the church, but I didn't give a rip about the church, I didn't give a rip about Jesus. And from early on, my life was just consumed with drugs, partying, girls, all that, all that stuff. And um, I mean, if you could snort it, shoot it, smoke it, I did it. Um, broke a lot of laws. Finally, um, you know, I got put on probation. That didn't go so well with me. And uh, I got put in, in uh, county jail for 90 days in Portland, Oregon. And that was a really hard time in my life. But then I stole something because I was a punk. I was a thief. I was a liar. Just a bad dude. Evil, evil guy. And I stole something, and they put me in solitary confinement where they fed me through a little slot in the door three times a day. Like, so, I mean, that is the proverbial rock bottom. I hit it. I couldn't get any lower. And it's at that point, I'm like, all right, I need, to f- I need to figure something out here. And I came to the place where I was like, I'm either, either Christ is real or he's not. And if he's not real, I'm going to kill myself because there's no point in living. All my life keeps doing is, is in, it, it ends up being a train wreck. But if Christ is real, what am I doing? And, and it was at that time my mom, my sweet, sweet mom, just wrote me little letters in Jeremiah 29, 11, like I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and, and, and just, just dropping gospel bombs as much as she could, you know, letting me know, reminding me that God loves me, and he's got a plan, and all that stuff, and um, anyway, I got out of jail, and I went to this program, and this guy there, this drug treatment program, is a Christian program, and a guy there named James Langford, he was a six-foot-four black guy from Tennessee, he used to be a pimp, but God changed his life around, and he just threw down on the gospel with me. He told me how much Jesus loved me and that by faith and repentance, I can, I can come and experience new life. And I did. And it was crazy. I just cried out to God, have mercy on me. Please forgive me. I, I, I deserve your wrath. Please turn it away. I want to stop following my way and I want to start following Jesus. And it was like in that moment, my life just changed forever. Like God stepped in and did what I couldn't do. Um, and he'll do that for you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, if you're willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will change your life. He will rescue you. He will deliver you because he's good and faithful, wherever you are. And, and, and if, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, maybe you don't know how you're going to provide the next meal for your family. I mean, maybe you just lost your job or you just got a horrible diagnosis from your doctor. Or maybe you did some silly or really bad things like I did and you're paying the consequences now. Look to the Lord. He will rescue you. He will deliver you. And we, again, we have to keep in mind this deliverance doesn't always come today. Like if we don't have a job, it doesn't mean God's boom is going to zap us with a job. But that deliverance will come. It will come today, maybe tomorrow, maybe when we say goodbye to this mortal life. But God has made a promise that he will deliver his people and he keeps his word again because he's good. And because he's good, even in the midst of our suffering and our trials and our struggles and our cancer and this, that, or the other thing, we can have joy 
in the midst of those things, which is what David says we can have. In verse 5, he says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Radiant. We don't really use that word anymore. What, what, what does a radiator do in, in, the, sense, in the case of a um, central heating system, like in an old house or something? I don't know if you have those here. When I was in Louisville, we had radiators in a lot of these old houses. And what it would do is it would transfer heat, right? The hot water, the hot steam goes through the pipes and it transfers the, the heat to the air around it and warms up the whole house or the building, which I think is a fitting description of a follower of Christ. It's someone who has experienced and tasted and seen God's goodness and God's goodness flows to them and through them and it has a very real effect on them and makes them radiant and it gives them joy. But we have to keep in mind that these people who have this joy, who are radiant, are people who are in the midst of trouble, of having to be delivered, which is, again, kind of weird. How does that work out? Paul, the apostle, the guy who wrote like half of the New Testament, right? He said in 2 Corinthians 6, 10, that a Christian essentially is someone who is as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Which, again, it sounds like a paradox. How can we be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing? But it isn't a paradox. It actually, it, it, it makes sense. It's quite easily explained. And it's like this. When we have God, when, when God is in our life, he is so good. He is so good, and he's such a treasure that we're able to rejoice and have joy when all our other earthly treasures, family, friends, whatever, get taken from our hands. We're able to have joy in the midst of suffering because we have a treasure that's better than those things that the rest of the world is hoping in. We have this treasure, this good God who loves us and is faithful to us, is going to deliver us, he's gonna, he hears and he answers us, he responds to us, he cares for us, and on and on, he does all these things for us. He has such a treasure that when we lose our earthly treasures, even though there's tears coming down our face and it hurts, it does hurt. We can have joy because that treasure that we have in Christ cannot be taken away. It can't be taken away. Nobody can take it away. You can kill our bodies, but you can't take our soul, right? There's a, a bro, an old theologian who's dead now. His name is A.W. Tozer. And uh, he, he says it better than me. So I'm going I'm to quote him on this point. He says, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. That's in God, right? Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he's allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. So fill in the blank. iPods, MacBook computers, family, friends, health. Never be necessary for his happiness. Or if he must see them go, one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss for having the source of all things he has in one, all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing, for now he has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. And again, this is essentially what David writes in verses 9 through 10 when he says, Those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So let me translate this for you. Everything that you need, God is going to supply. God is going to give you what you need. David uses this lion as an illustration. And you see, a lion is the most likely creature on earth to be strong and well-fed. And so he's setting up a contrast here. He said, there's even going to be times on earth when lions grow hungry 
and, 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 they're, and they're weak, but not so the people of God. God is going to give us what we need, when we need it, every time that we need it. And I mean, think about your own life right now. I don't know your story, but I'm sure someone's story in here is pretty rough. Like you've gone through some challenges. Maybe there were times in your life where you said, I'm not, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. This is crazy. Maybe a horrible breakup or divorce or something happened in your life. But check it. All of us in this room, we're here right now. And we take that truth for granted, don't we? I mean, we're breathing. The Lord has given us all what we need. Doesn't mean our lives have been free from troubles, but he's given us what we need when we need it. And he will continue to do that because he's faithful and true to his promise to do just that. And when those times come in our life, when we feel like we're lacking something good, which is in America is typically because we don't have something that somebody else has, we'll always have the best thing. And that's our relationship with Jesus Christ, who is a treasure that blows all other treasures out of the water. And so let me recap what we've gone through. God is inviting us in to accept his, um, to experience his goodness. It's a wonderful invitation and we should accept this invitation. Why? Because he hears and he answers our prayers. He delivers and he saves his people. He causes people to be radiant with joy and he gives his people all that they need. And in short, because he's good. And, and listen, this list is not exhaustive. If David, if David wanted to write down every reason why God is good and why we should accept this invitation, Psalm 34, not 119, right, would be the longest psalm in the Psalter because, because the Bible couldn't contain all the ways that, the God, that our God is good towards us. But I want to add one more thing to this list that we consider as we think about God's goodness and it's this. God is self-sufficient, self-existent, which are kind of like big words, and what does that mean? Well, it means this. Every creature, everything in the universe is contingent or dependent on something else for life. There is no uncaused cause. Everything has a cause. We all depend on somebody or something, mainly God. Well, that's not the case with God. He doesn't need anything. We don't add anything to God at all. He is completely full, completely happy, filled with love and joy and peace and righteousness and greatness and grandeur and everything. He doesn't need anything at all. And yet, he creates everything that is. He speaks into nothing and creates everything. Not only does he create everything, but he sustains everything by the word of his power. And not only does he sustain everything, but he's redeeming everything. And he goes after wayward children like us who are jacked up and, 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 and fall apart and who sin and have rebelled against God. He comes and he steps in and he hears and answers our prayer, prayers. He saves and he rescues us. He delivers us. He gives us what we need. He, he makes sure we're not lacking anything good. He, he becomes our treasure. And on and on and on, the Lord does all these things. And he's self-sufficient and self-existent. And you have to ask the question, why? Nobody's forcing God's arm. Oh, I've got to do this. No one's doing that to him. Why is he doing these things? Why, why is he like this? There's only one answer to that question. It's because he's good. Behold your God. He is a very good God. And he does all these things not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, because you've performed well, but simply because he's good. And he, he's, he, the spill over his goodness is what we call grace. In fact, he's so good that he's the definition of goodness. 
which means we don't call God good. When we talk about his goodness, we don't call God good because we were able to measure him to some standard out here that we've created, right? No, he is actually the standard, which means we call other things good in as much as they reflect who God is, which means the closer something looks like God, the better it is, the more good it is. The further away something is from God, the worse it is, the more evil it is. You know, I've had a lot of friends who aren't, I still do, who aren't Christians, and one of their main arguments against Christianity is that there can't be a good God like you say because there's so much evil in this world. You know, and that's a real problem that I'm sympathetic to. I get that. I mean, you look at all the genocide and murder and rape and on and on, all these horrible things that happen in this world, and I understand that argument, but check this out. Here's my response to you. Maybe you have this argument here. That argument that you have, that there can't be a good God because there's evil in this world, it actually depends on there being a good God. Let me explain. C.S. Lewis, really, again, a smart guy, smarter than me, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity, Problem of Pain, all, that, all these great books. Um, he said that in order to call a line crooked, what must we know first? What a straight line, exactly. If we did not know what a straight line is, we, didn't, we couldn't know what a crooked line is, right? So we know what a crooked line is because we know what a straight line is. And in order for us to call something evil, we have to have a standard of, for you to call something evil you have to have a standard of what is good and what is right. And if you take God out of the picture, you no longer have that. If you reduce a cosmos and humanity to nothing more than a product of chance, an accident of chance and time, if Darwinian evolution is true in everything that it asserts, then there is no such thing as evil. Then when you read about the horrors of Auschwitz and, and the genocide in Sudan and, and, and all, in all these countries and the murder and, all, and on and on, the thing, every time you turn on your news, when you see these things and you have this feeling like, oh, that's evil, that's wrong, get over it. Take an Advil. It's actually not evil because there is no such thing as evil if you don't have a good God. But, the re, but check this out. There is such thing as a good God and you were made in his image. And that's why you shake your fist at evil. That's why you're mad at genocide. That's why you're mad at when, when people hurt other people and do all these horrible things. And that's why you're mad at yourself when you hurt your, someone you love and whatever. It's because you are made in the image of a good God. And yes, this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. But we have a God that is good who meets us in this world, right where we're at. And he's inviting everyone in, in this room to experience that goodness for themselves. And so the final question then, this final movement, is how do we accept this invitation? How do we experience this, this goodness of God? And the short answer that David gives us is to fear the Lord. And he writes in verses 11 through 14. I'm going to read it. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So the short answer is, how do we accept this invitation? We fear the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, I've done a lot of research and, and read a lot of the Bible on what the fear of the Lord is, and this has to be kept in mind. We have to make this distinction. There is a difference between the fear of the Lord and the terror of the Lord, right? Believers, Christians, are called to fear the Lord. Non, Non-believers are terrified of God. If there is a believer who's terrified of God, that means that they have not yet, as John says in 1 John, been perfected by love, which means they don't, they don't yet understand the, the depth of God's love for them in the Son. They're not there yet. So believers should never be terrified of God, but we should fear him. 
And the best translation of that is reverent awe. It's being in reverent awe of God, which, which, come, which comes along with it, the meanings of deep respect, admiration, amazement. It's that jaw-dropping, blown away, oh my goodness, um, quality of God. When we see him for who he is, his beauty, his goodness, his majesty, his holiness, his righteousness, we just, we shut up in his presence. We can't talk because he's amazing. It's this reverent awe. That, that's the fear of the Lord. It's not this terror thing. And anytime we see the fear of the Lord in scripture, it always produces a very real effect. Obedience. And in Psalm 34's case, it's turning from evil, doing good, seeking peace in this world. So let's talk about turning from evil real quick. When I became a Christian, I almost didn't become one because I was scared. And I was scared for something really silly. I was scared that when I became a Christian, I would no longer have any more fun, right? It's easy to come to a passage like this where it says turn from evil and think that what that is teaching us is that all the goodness of your life is going to get sucked out when you, be, when you turn from evil. Because up to that point in your life, all you know is those things that you love that give you joy, right? It could, it could be a number of things. It could be money, partying, popularity. I don't know. It could be anything. And when you hear that you have to turn from this, that's really scary because you're like, oh no, these are the things that have defined me and given me joy. And, and, and so it's scary. But on the contrary, far from goodness getting sucked out of your life when you turn from evil, it's those, what gets sucked out of your life is those things that are blocking you from experiencing real goodness. When you turn from evil, when you turn from your life apart from Christ, you actually are opening yourself, opening yourself up to experiencing goodness for real for the first time in your life. You see, we all want the good life, right? We all do. In the popular culture in America, we joke about that. You, you live in the dream, you live in the dream, I'm living the dream. You, what's, the, well, what's the dream? What's the good life? The good life is this, is living life under God's, our Heavenly Father's loving reign and rule. That's the good life. It's, it's the life that we're all meant to live, where we know our God, trust him, and obey him, like a train on the tracks. We were made to live this certain way. If a train one day got wise in his own mind and he said, I'm tired of living this way, I'm going to jump these tracks, I'm going to live my own way, and he jumped, what would happen? Would there be a train wreck? And that's the story of our lives. It's the story of my life. The good life some people call it the bad life, but the good life is living life under God's reign and rule, the way that we're always intended to live. We're made to know and experience him. But the fear of the Lord doesn't just stop there. Accepting this invitation isn't just turning from the bad, which the Bible calls repentance. It's also turning towards the good and embracing this new life that, that Christ is inviting us into. And it's a life in which we do good, seek peace, and pursue it. And this is important. God didn't just save us from. He didn't just save you from your sins. He saved you for a purpose. He saved you for an amazing purpose. And what's that purpose? Is to do good and be an agent of peace in this world. I have to explain what all that means, but Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So turn that around, and what he's saying is that sons and daughters of God are peacemakers, which means we're called to be people who go into our neighborhood, in our families, in our schools, in, in, in our jobs, in, in our recreational activities, in our world, being agents of God's peace, proclaiming the good news of what Christ has done, both by our words and by our deeds. Now, that's not what saves us. 
No, no, no amount of good deeds and doing good could ever make us righteous before God, right? The Christian life isn't hard, it's impossible. And that's why Christ had to do, what, that's why he had to come. He had to do the impossible for us. But when we enter into this new life, God is inviting us into this good life to embrace this way that, we, that he always intended us to live, which we do good, seek peace, and pursue it. And when I think of peacemakers in this world, I can't help but to think of my mom. Again, I like to boast of my mom. She's an amazing woman. There's the time in my life when I was at my worst, right? Doing all these things and partying and whatever and whatnot. I had this apartment. I had it for a short time because I got evicted pretty soon. But while I had this apartment, we'd have all these parties and it'd go all night long. And I didn't have any money because when I had money, I just spent it on drugs because I was a loser. And, um, we, we, anyway, we partied all night. It was like seven or eight in the morning. I hear a knock on the door and I'm still up. I haven't slept. Um, I open the door and it's my mom. And so instantly I feel guilty and ashamed, right? Here's my mom, this innocent, I mean, in my eyes, innocent, righteous, like pure, beautiful woman. And here, I'm, here am I in all my sickness. Just grow, I mean, my eyes are bloodshot. It smells like vomit in my apartment. People are passed out on the floor. Guess what she, ha- guess what she has in her hands? a gallon of milk, and a bunch of groceries. And she asked if she can come in. I was like, okay, you can come in. And so, again, it smells really bad, and there's probably still smoke in the air. She has to step over, like, passed out bodies on the floor. And she goes in the kitchen, and she puts the groceries in the refrigerator. And um, I don't remember everything she said, but I remember she, with watery eyes, she told me that she loved me. And, and look, I, I treated my mom, I hate, like, I treated my mom really bad. I told her I hated her, I manipulated her, I lied to her, I stole from her. I was an evil dude. I was so bad. And here's this woman, this, this, this light coming into the darkness with a bag of groceries. Nothing like crazy. Like, she didn't go to Ethiopia, but she was an agent of peace for her son in the time when he needed it most. I could not cope with what she did. It rocked me. What are you doing? How can you love me like this when I've treated you so wrong? She told me she loved me and she left. And it was simple as that. And I couldn't get over those kind of things. I mean, don't you want to live like that? Like, isn't that beautiful? Like, don't you want to live the kind of life where you get over yourself and your stuff and you lay your life down for the good of other people? That I dream of the day when I can do that. I want to do that so bad. That's the life that God is calling us into. And it's not a duty. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to experience a good life where we love other people. In Jesus' name, there's nothing better than that. And of course, we're going to fail. We're going we're to try to do this, and we're, we're sinners, and so we're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to do it right. But there's a call there. And by God's grace, we can step into this life of goodness. But before, before we, we, we go there, I, have to, I do have to address this issue, this big problem, and it's this. All of us, as I lay out this good life, as God, forgive me, as God is laying out this good life before you, casting this vision, there's something that we have to um, be honest about. It's that we've all failed. Every single one of us has failed in this regard. Maybe you're here today and you, you're not a Christian. You've never turned from what the Bible calls evil, though you don't see it as evil. You've, you, you're in rebellion against God. You don't care. Maybe you're here. That's your story. Others of us, most of us in this room, have been Christians probably for quite some time, and yet we persist in neglecting our call to do good. We make this, it's so easy to make this life about us, is it not? 
to be selfish, to be consumed with what's going on and forget that we're called to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and laid his life down for us. It's so, it's so easy to do that. So how do, we, how, do, how do we fix it? How do we get back on the tracks? How do we who have failed every day stay right with the Lord or become right for the first time with the Lord? Well, the answer is here in verse 22. David writes, The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. That is good news. That is such good news. And how? How, did God, how does God redeem his servants? How does God redeem his people? Well, he did it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. A man just like us, but also very unlike us, right? He was like us in that he experienced all the troubles that we experience in this life, but very unlike us in that he never failed. He, he, he always lived life under, God, under his father's reign and rule, perfectly obeyed. He showed us all what it truly meant to be human. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, but he didn't just live, right? He died. He died for you and he died for me. You see, because God is good, it means that one day he is going to end evil. All that stuff that you hate, that you cringe at when you look on the TV, that's going to end one day. And Jesus' name is going to be over because our God is good. But that poses a problem for God because we're evil. That means he's going to have to end us. But because God is good, he made a way to end evil without ending us. And he did it by ending his son on the cross so that all the punishment for our sin all the stuff that we do wrong, all the times that we neglect to do, every, every way that we're jacked up and we deserve to be punished was thrusted upon his shoulders on that cross. And the good life that Jesus alone deserved was given to us at his expense for those of us who would receive it. Isn't that good news? And that's, I mean, our God is good. Behold your God. He's good. He is so good. He made a way when there was no way. And so... One question I have as I end is, would you receive him? If there's someone in this room who doesn't know Christ, I'm telling you, here's the truth. You are searching for happiness and you've been looking for it your whole life in all the wrong places and we're declaring to you that it's found in one place alone and it's Jesus Christ. All that searching you've been doing, all the pain you've experienced as you find that these things don't measure up and don't actually satisfy you have all led to this moment in time right now where you can receive Jesus Christ and look for that thing you've, and find that thing you've been looking for in all the wrong places. And if that's you, if you're here today and that's hitting you, well, I beg you, plead with you, go talk to one of the Christians in this room. Talk to your pastor, or one of your pastors here, or, or me, whoever, and let them know your questions. Maybe you think it's all crazy and that's fine, but talk to somebody. And for the rest of us here who've been believers for a long time or maybe just became a believer or whatever, the call to us is to not forget this truth. Your God is good. He loves you. I don't know why that's the hardest thing for us to believe, but it can be. Your God loves you. His disposition towards you is good, and we have to remember that because it's when we forget that that we begin to drift and look for goodness somewhere else, which always ends in pain. And so to help us in this endeavor of of remembering how good our God is. I have a little assignment for you, those of you who, who would like to do it. Um, carve out 15, and it's based on Psalm 103, verse 2, when David writes, bless the, Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. So if you can, if you're able, carve out 15 minutes this week and just sit down with a piece of paper, or your journal, whatever, and begin to write down all the ways 
in which God has blessed you, all the ways in which, you're, which your God has been good towards you and how he has benefited you. And when you think you're done, just keep riding. And, and I mean, everything you can think of, from the fact that you have shoes on your feet, that we have running water, that Jesus took, took the brunt of our punishment for our sin, that, that what, everything that you can think of. And once you're done writing everything down, read that, read that guy out loud. Maybe read it to your spouse, read it to your friend, or read it, read it to your kids, or read it by yourself, whatever you want to do. And spend a moment in reverent awe and worship as you think about the fact that God doesn't need anything, and yet he has benefited you in all these ways. Not because you're good, not because you've earned it, not because you performed and you did enough good today, but simply because he's good. And spend some time in reverent awe and worship him. He's been so good to you because he is good. Let's pray. God, wow, you are so good. You are good. And your love endures forever and even today. Your love endures. And I know that in a message like this, God, I know a lot of people have probably been encouraged. And that's, that's, what, I can't, that's what I wanted to do. Your word encourages us when we take a look at who you are. And at the same time, I know that some people might be discouraged because they realize they, you know, they're not, they haven't stepped into the good life themselves and they neglect this call and whatever. And I, I just pray that we would all come to the place right now where we recognize in spite of our failures and loving other people in Jesus' name, in spite of our, our, our neglect of this call to do good and be agents of peace in which we experience so much joy as we lay down our lives for other people. In, in spite of all those things, I pray that we'd all come to the place and realize that you've loved us first before we did anything good. You loved us. You loved us when we were doing everything bad. And that, God, you continue to love us in spite of our shady performance along the way of our Christian lives. And, Lord, let us use this as fuel, your love and your grace in our lives. Let, it use, let us use it as fuel to, to speak out your goodness and proclaim your goodness to our friends, to our schoolmates, to our fellow employees. In Jesus' name, Lord, Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for being so patient with us, God. And thank you again for giving me this privilege to speak to these wonderful people. In Jesus' name, amen.